evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found at the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link on every page and post. Tonight we continue our story, The Adventure of the Bruce Partington Plans, by author Conan Doyle. There is material here. There is scope, said he. I am dull indeed not to have understood its possibilities. Even now they are dark to me. The end is dark to me also, but I have hold of one idea which may lead us far. The man met his death elsewhere, and his body was on the roof of a carriage. On the roof! Remarkable, is it not? But consider the facts. Is it a coincidence that it is found at the very point where the train pitches and sways as it comes around on the points? Is not that the place where an object upon the roof might be expected to fall off? The points would affect no object inside the train. Either the body fell from the roof, or a very curious coincidence has occurred. But now consider the question of the blood. Of course, there was no bleeding on the line if the body had bled elsewhere. Each fact is suggestive in itself. Together they have a cumulative force. And the ticket, too, I cried. Exactly. We could not explain the absence of a ticket. This would explain it. Everything fits together. But suppose it were so. We are still as far as ever from unraveling the mystery of his death. Indeed, it becomes not simpler, but stranger. Perhaps, said Holmes thoughtfully. Perhaps. He relapsed into a silent reverie, which lasted until the slow train drew up at last at Woolworth Station. There he called a cab and drew Mycroft's paper from his pocket. We have quite a little round of afternoon calls to make, said he. I think that Sir James Walter claims our first attention. The house of the famous official was a fine villa with green lawns stretching down to the Thames. As we reached it, the fog was lifting and the thin, watery sunshine was breaking through. A butler answered our ring. Sir James, sir, said he with solemn face. Sir James died this... Good heavens, cried Holmes in amazement. How did he die? Uh, perhaps you would care to step in, sir, and see his brother, Colonel Valentine. Yes, we had best do so. We were ushered into a dim-lit drawing room, where an instant later we were joined by a very tall, handsome, light-bearded man of fifty, the younger brother of the dead scientist. His wild eyes, stained cheeks, and unkempt hair all spoke of the sudden blow which had fallen upon the household. He was hardly a ticket as he spoke. It was this horrible scandal, said he. My brother, Sir James, was a man of very sensitive honor, and he could not survive such an affair. It broke his heart. He was always so proud of the efficiency of his department. This was a crushing blow. We had hoped that he might have given us some indications which would have helped us to clear the matter up. 
I assure you that it is all a mystery to him as it is to you and all of us. He had already put all his knowledge at the disposal of the police. Naturally, he had no doubt that Cadogan West was guilty, but all the rest was inconceivable. You cannot throw any new light upon the event. I know nothing myself, save what I have read or heard. I have no desire to be discouraged, but you can understand, Mr. Holmes, that we are much disturbed at present, and I must ask you to hasten this interview to an end. This is, indeed, an unexpected development, said my friend, when we had regained the cab. I wonder if the death was natural, or whether the poor old fellow killed himself. If the latter, may it be taken as some sign of self-reproach for duty neglected. We must leave that question to the future. Now, we shall turn to the Cadigan Wests. A small but well-kept house in the outskirts of town sheltered the bereaved mother. The old lady was too dazed with grief to be of any use to us, but at her side was a white-faced young lady who introduced herself as Miss Violet Westbury, the fiancé of the dead man, and the last to see him upon that fateful night. I cannot explain it, Mr. Holmes, she said. I have not shot an eye since the tragedy. Thinking, 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 night and day, what the true meaning of it can be. Arthur was the most single-minded, chivalrous, patriotic man upon earth. He would have cut his right hand off before he would sell a state secret confided to his keeping. It is absurd, impossible, preposterous to anyone who knew him. But the facts, Miss Westbury... Yes, yes, I admit, I, I cannot explain them. Was he in any want of money? No, his needs were very simple and his salary ample. He had saved a few hundreds, and we were to marry at the new year. No signs of any mental excitement? Come, Miss Westbury, be absolutely frank with us. The quick eye of my companion had noted some change in her manner. She colored and hesitated. Yes, she said at last. I had a feeling that there was something on his mind. For long? Only for the last week or so. He was thoughtful and worried. Once I pressed him about it, he admitted that there was something and that it was concerned with his official life. It is too serious for me to speak about even to you, said he. I could get nothing more. Holmes looked grave. Go on, Miss Westbury. Even if it seems to tell against him, go on. We cannot say what may lead to. Indeed, I have nothing more to tell. Once or twice it seemed to me that he was on the point of telling me something. He spoke one evening of the importance of the secret, and, and I have some recollection that he said that no doubt foreign spies would pay a great deal to have it. My friend's face grew graver still. Anything else? He said that we were slack about such matters, that it would be easy for a traitor to get the plans. Was it only recently that he made such remarks? Yes, quite recently. Now, tell us of that last evening. We were to go to the theater. The fog was so thick that a cab was useless. 
We walked, and our way took us close to the office. Suddenly, he darted away into the fog. Without a word, he gave an exclamation, that was all. I waited, but he never returned. Then I walked home. Then, next morning, after the office opened, they came to inquire. About twelve o'clock, we heard the terrible news. Oh, Mr. Holmes, if you could only, only save his honor! It was so much to him. Holmes shook his head sadly. Come, Watson, said he. Our ways lie elsewhere. Our next station must be the office from which the papers were taken. It was black enough before against this young man. But our inquiries made it blacker, he remarked as the cab lumbered off. His coming marriage gives a motive for the crime. He naturally wanted money. The idea was in his head, since he spoke about it. He nearly made the girl an accomplice in the treason by telling her his plans. It is all very bad. But surely, Holmes, character goes for something. Then again, why should he leave the girl in the street and dart away to commit a felony? Exactly. There are certainly objections, but it is a formidable case which they have to meet. Mr. Sidney Johnson, the senior clerk, met us at the office and received us with that respect which my companion's card always commanded. He was a thin, gruff, bespectacled man of middle age, his cheeks haggard and his hands twitching from the nervous strain to which he had been subjected. It is bad, Mr. Holmes, very bad. Have you heard of the death of the chief? We have just come from his house. The place is disorganized. The chief dead, Caterjan West dead, our papers stolen. And yet, when we closed our door on Monday evening, we were as efficient an office as any in the government service. Good God, it's dreadful to think of. That West of all men should have done such a thing. You are sure of his guilt, then? I can see no other way out of it, and yet I would have trusted him as I trust myself. At what hour was the office closed on Monday? At five. Did you close it? I am always the last man out. Where were the plans? In that safe. I put them there myself. Is there no watchman to the building? There is, but he has other departments to look after as well. He is an old soldier and a most trustworthy man. He saw nothing that evening, of course. The fog was very thick. Suppose that Canajan West wished to make his way into the building after hours. He would need three keys, would he not, before he could reach the papers? Yes, he would. The key to the outer door, the key to the office... And the key to the safe. Only Sir James Walter and you had those keys. I had no keys of the door. Only of the safe. Was Sir James a man who was orderly in his habits? Yes, I think he was. I know that so far as those three keys are concerned, he kept them on the same ring. I have often seen them there. And that ring went with him to London. He said so. And your key never left your possession? Never. Then 
West, if he is the culprit, must have had a duplicate. And yet, none was found upon his body. One other point. If a clerk in this office desired to sell the plans, would it not be simply to copy the plans for himself than to take the original as was actually done? It would take considerable technical knowledge to copy the plans in an effective way. But I suppose either Sir James or you or West has that technical knowledge. No doubt we had. But I beg you won't try to drag me into the matter, Mr. Holmes. What is the use of our speculating in this way when the original plans were actually found on West? Well... It is certainly singular that he should run the risk of taking originals if he could safely have taken copies which would have equally served his turn. Singular, no doubt, and yet he did so. Every inquiry in this case reveals something inexplicable. Now there are three papers still missing. They are, as I understand, the vital ones. Yes, that is so. Do you mean to say that anyone holding these three papers and without the seven others could construct a Bruce Partington submarine? I reported to that effect to the Admiralty, but today I have been over the drawings again and I am not so sure of it. The double valves with the automatic self-adjusting slots are drawn in one of the papers which have been returned. Until the foreigners had invented that for themselves... They could not make the boat. Of course, they might soon get over the difficulty. But the three missing drawings are the most important. Undoubtedly. I think, with your permission, I will now take a stroll round the premises. I do not recall any other question which I desired to ask. He examined the lock of the safe, the door of the room, and finally the iron shutters of the window. It was only when we were on the lawn outside that his interest was strongly excited. There was a laurel bush outside the window, and several of the branches bore signs of having been twisted or snapped. He examined them carefully with his lens, and then some dim and vague marks upon the earth beneath. Finally, he asked the chief clerk to close the iron shutters, and he pointed out to me that they hardly met in the center and that it would be possible for anyone outside to see what was going on within the room. The indications are ruined by three days' delay. They may mean something or nothing. Well, Watson, I do not think that Woolrich can help us further. It is a small crop which we have gathered. Let us see if we can do better in London. Yet we added one more sheaf to our harvest before we left Woolrich Station. The clerk in the ticket office was able to say with confidence that he saw Cadogan West, whom he knew well by sight, upon the Monday night, and that he went to London by the 8.15 to London Bridge. He was alone and took a single third-class ticket. The clock was struck at the time by his excited and nervous manner. So shaky was he that he could hardly pick up his change, and the clerk had helped him with it. A reference to the timetable showed that the 8.15 was the first train which it was possible for West to take after he had left the lady about 7.30. Let us reconstruct Watson, said Holmes, after half an hour of silence. I am not aware that in all our joint researches 
we have ever had a case which was more difficult to get at. Every fresh advance which we make only reveals a fresh ridge beyond. And yet, we have surely made some appreciable progress. The effect of our inquiries at Woolridge has in the main been against young Cadogan West, but the indications at the window would lend themselves to a more favorable hypothesis. Let us suppose, for example, that he had been approached by some foreign agent. It might have been done under such pledges as would have prevented him from speaking of it, and yet would have affected his thoughts in the direction indicated by his remarks to his fiancée. Very good. We will now suppose that as he went to the theater with the young lady, he suddenly, in the fog, caught a glimpse of the same agent going in the direction of the office. He was an impetuous man, quick in his decisions. Everything gave way to his duty. He followed the man, reached the window, saw the abstraction of the documents, and pursued the thief. In this way, we get over the objection that no one would take originals when he could make copies. This outsider had to take originals. So far, it holds together. What is the next step? Then we come into difficulties. One would imagine that under such circumstances, the act of young Cadogan West would be to seize the villain and raise the alarm. Why did he not do so? Could it have been an official superior who took the papers? That would explain West's conduct. Or could the thief have given West the slip in the fog, and West started at once to London to head him off from his own rooms, presuming that he knew where the rooms were? The call must have been very pressing, since he left the girl standing in the fog and made no effort to communicate with her. Our scent runs cold here, and there is a vast gap between either hypothesis and the laying of West's body, with seven papers in his pocket on the roof of a metropolitan train. My instinct now is to work from the other end. If Mycroft has given us a list of addresses, we may be able to pick our man and follow two tracks instead of one. Surely enough, a note awaited us at Baker Street. A government messenger had brought it post-haste. Holmes glanced at it and threw it over to me. There are numerous small fry, but few who would handle so big an affair. The only man worth considering are Adolf Meyer of 13 Great George Street, Westminster, Louis Larotiere of Camden Mansions, Notting Hill, and Hugo Oberstein, 13 Caulfield Gardens, Kensington, and Hugo Oberstein, 13 Caulfield Gardens, Kensington. The latter was known to be in town on Monday and is now reported as having left. Glad to hear you have seen some light. The cabinet awaits your final report with the utmost anxiety. Urgent representations have arrived from the very highest quarter. The whole force of the state is at your back if you should need it. Mycroft. I'm afraid, said Holmes, smiling. That all the Queen's horses and all the Queen's men cannot avail in this matter. He had spread out his big map of London and leaned eagerly over it. Well, well, said he presently with an exclamation of satisfaction. 
Things are turning a little in our direction at last. Why, Watson? I do honestly believe that we are going to pull it off after all. He slapped me on the shoulder with a sudden burst of hilarity. I am going out now. It is only a reconnaissance. I will do nothing serious without my trusted comrade and biographer at my elbow. Do you stay here, and the odds are that you will see me again in an hour or two. If time hangs heavy, get fool's cap and a pen, and begin your narrative of how we saved the state. We'll return with the story on our next episode. I want to remind you that we're always on the hunt for great stories like this one to feature on the show. Send your story suggestions to bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me a Coffee link on every page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) 